And I'm Christian. And this is episode 149 of Shades of Brown. And this week we are we're we're talking architecture transitions, baby. It's it's uh it's a, it's a classic <laughs> a classic tech episode, you know. Like this this is we're talking sh- about desktops today. We're basically. talking about desktop computers, which you know you I know chose no to- politics in our video games, <laughs> only desktop computers, only desktop computers in our in our video games. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about desktop computers. We're talking, I mean, one desktop computer and a couple laptops. Uh, so we'll get into that. But first, first we talk about our, as people have been waiting, uh, this is the third Apple event this year and the last. And uh, Tim Cook was like, see you next year. So we're good on that. Uh, thank, thank God. Thank like, God. Tim many, Cook was like, I'm many. tired of this, I guess. I'm going to go on vacation. Uh, okay, so the Apple launch, it's uh, what they have been talking about for a while, uh, is their new ARM chip for for their for Max. Uh, and the first of this uh, for first of these chips, it's called the, the M1 chip. Uh, M1, uh, M1. That's I think I guess that's the thing they're using. M1 I think was also the motion coprocessor. Uh, the, the M thing was a motion core processor thing. I guess it just reused it. It's fine. I mean, it makes sense though, right? For like, for, for a Mac, like it's the Mac first ARM chip. Okay, fine. I'm not going to complain. Like, yeah, fine. At least it's not Intel, at least not Apple i9-768-420K. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Like, it's like, it did, did like some Ivy, like, in like Comet, like, or whatever the fuck Intel does these days. Uh, please, Apple, just stick to what you're doing. It's fine. Uh, so, so I'm going to have one chip. So what is like, okay, so what are like the big sort of like with this chip specifically, like what are the like the big sort of talking points that they're bringing up with this? Like the, there are, how many cores are there? So this is an ARM chip since, so there's an ARM chip, it, uh, it has the, it has the big little ARM architecture, right? Like it has uh, high performance cores and uh, high efficiency cores, right? Like low power, high. So you have eight cores, right? Four. Yeah, so split in half. Yeah, four a high efficiency, four high power. Okay, so and there is a, a GPU in this as well, like a GPU on the on the die as well. Uh, it is an eight eight core GPU, but uh, well, with an asterisk. With an yeah. asterisk, we'll yeah we'll get into that. But like some of the some like there's a binning thing that's probably happening here. We don't don't know for sure. Uh, there is. Um, LP DDR4X channels, 8X channels of these, like, I guess, so that's what the RAM, uh, there is, a like a 16 core, a neural engine on this and, uh, and the SLC cache. What is SLC? Do you know what SLC is? Is that just like, uh, some sort of 
caching for some presses? I would assume I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say SLC cache is probably the same or if not similar to like the L3 cache on a, oh, no, on no, a Intel, Intel chip? CPU. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, like That's my guess. If you, yeah, actually, yeah. Like, if you actually know what SLC cache is, please at me at packetcatsetforward.social. Yeah, yeah. If, if, you, if you know about processors more than we do, I'm, I'm not actually – I, I actually don't know that much about how processors – are architected uh, these days. I know there's L3 cache is a thing that exists on, a, on x86 uh, processors like uh, AMD's chips and Intel chips, right? Well, actually, oh, no, actually, okay, so no, I'm looking at, so if you look at the Enantec article in our show notes, they actually have a proper diagram Apple sent. So the four performance cores have 12 megabytes of L2 cache. The the four low, the, the four efficiency cores have four megabytes of L2 Okay, cache. so they have separate caches. Yeah. So there's a, like, yeah, so okay, SLC cache may be the for L3 the cache? GPU then. Oh, maybe there's, oh, that might. Because it's all in the same die, yeah, It right? is on the same die. So I, like, I'm not actually sure what the, uh, and there is no mention of the SLC thing in the, in the actual article, but uh, it is, okay, if anybody knows what SLC does, uh, let us know. I, I, I'm guessing this is some sort of ARM thing, but I'm I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, oh, system level cache, which is shared apo- across all IP blocks, so all processors share that cache, basically, right? That's what SLC stands for. Oh, so it's it is probably the L3 cache then, right? It is probably then the equivalent would be the L3 cache on on the, like the x86 processors. I would I, I mean if I'm I'm guessing if that's not actually true, let us know. Uh, so there are some numbers here and the numbers are meaningless. Some of the numbers are meaningless, like 16 billion transistors. Cool story, bro. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, who cares? Uh, I don't think anybody cares about the number of transistors, uh, other than processor nerds. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so there are 16 billion, uh, transistors. Uh, so this chip. What what what? So what are the computers that this is coming in? Right, like this has this is a five. Oh, I should mention this is a five nanometer process, right? Uh, who's who's fabbing these? Are these like TSMC? Okay. So basically, right. I think we mentioned we're talking about the GPUs, right? That like the reason um, Nvidia had to go to Samsung for like that weird eight nanometer process node for the RTX thirty series is because Apple bought out all of TSMC's five nanometer capacity. Right, right, right. So. So and of course this one has a uh, image signal processor in it, like uh, like the iPhones obviously do, right? Uh, it has a secure enclave in it, uh, which makes sense. And there, there's also something about a unified memory architecture, which I am not actually sure what that video game console basically. Think of it like this: so on your Xbox Series, what bad name consoles or your PS5, right? They have RAM that's split between the GPU and the CPU, right? But those consoles only have GDPR RAM, or not GDPR, Jesus, <laughs> G- GDDR, whatever the fuck it's called. GP, GPD, uh, I hate that. GP, oh fuck, I, I hate GDDR, I believe is the... Uh, yes, yes. Fucking... G- Great Dance Dance Revolution RAM, yes. <laughs> that's what they have, but... So, PS, basically, they share the same RAM pool, right, between the GPU and CPU. This is the same thing, right? So, instead of, like, you know, on your fancy... Um, you know, gamer PC, you have regular RAM that if you had an APU for your CPU, right? If you didn't have an Intel, like if you had a yes, yes, it was share. If, if I had, if I was using, if I had an Intel iGPU, it would be using the the video the video RAM. I would be using the yeah the system RAM basically, right? Like, which is like oh, that's what the unified memory architecture. Okay, so that okay, that makes that makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, because basically when they're on the SOC, right, when you have it on the SOC, it basically means less latency and probably better management on the system, right? 
since you don't have to like talk over PCI or anything, right? They're like directly in the same package there, which I mean, ultimately, I don't think really means much nowadays. Like that's not the bottleneck, right? Like your PCI lanes are not your bottleneck, but it probably is a simpler implementation, you know, like hardware wise. For them, yeah. Uh, and also from an IO perspective, this has Thunderbolt uh, slash uh, USB 4. USB 4. Ooh. USB 4. Uh, so USB 4, I don't think that's, I don't know if there are any PC motherboards with those yet. Uh, maybe there I is. I don't think any of the Intel, ch- I think like the Intel chipset for next year's chips will okay, support so it. Okay, so it's I don't not think there yet. So. Current processors yeah, I haven't heard anything it. about USB 4 on the, on the, you know, the PC side, the Windows side, or the, the I'd rather the motherboards, the hardware side over here in PC land. So I'm not sure, like, it's not ready yet. I guess because Intel is already yet. Well, I mean, USB four is basically like the open spec version of Thunderbolt three, right? They're pretty oh, equivalent. So, so that's I would okay. assume if you have Thunderbolt three support, USB four devices should be compatible in one sense or another, since they are the same implementation since Intel like opened it. So one thing that we should mention: what does this not have? This uh, like the Thunderbolt USB four does not support eGPUs. Right. Bro, why you gotta bring that up? Why, why, why do you have to bring that up? Well, we gotta bring it up because it is, it is a thing that happened. Apple has dropped support for eGPUs, right? Is that, that's what, that's what happened, right? And it's even, it's, it's, it's gone to the point where, so on regular macOS, right? There will be GPU drivers like on Windows, right? There'd be like generic drivers, right? In case you ever plugged in like a card, didn't install GeForce experience, right? Similar for Apple's computers, right? If you, you know, there's, base driver package you can sift through they don't even have arm compiled versions of amd or nvidia or intel drivers that's how much they don't support eGPUs. jesus and 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 this initial chip launch does not have does not support uh dedicated uh like G- discrete gpus right at all uh there is no support for discrete gpus there's only the the only gpu you're gonna get on the on this chip or this chip like if you have a machine with this chip in it the only gpu you get one is the one on the chip like you're not you're not getting any 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 sort of external or discrete gpu power here so this is this is uh what is the power level usage did i think there was a watt it's number the, so if we talk about the let me see if the non-tech has it it it's the equivalent class to the y series intel chips, or, right? yeah, so like 10, i series? think 10 yeah. watts mm-hmm. let me let me pull let me see if i can figure out yeah 10 watts i believe was the number yeah like they had a graph 10 watts that. yeah it's about 10 watts is what it should be these um, chips will run at okay so this is obviously not meant to be uh the higher end chips so these yeah, are- like so this processor, right? This processor is the consumer one. This is not the one you would use for like actual, you know, pro work. Okay. So 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 let's talk about the the computers here that are that are going to be launching with the with the M1. Um so we have uh two laptops and uh and a desktop which is the Mac Mini. So we'll talk about the laptops first, I guess. Uh, MacBook Air and uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro will will have this. Will be launching with uh, with this M1 chip uh, soon. Uh, did they announce a date? I uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's next. They're week. shipping next week, I think, or the week after. They're already available for pre-order. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so 13-inch uh, MacBook Air and the and then the and the Mac, AKA. The most popular Mac, uh, most popular Mac, and and also the 13 inch MacBook Pro, which is probably the second most popular Mac, uh, and that I think is the, a sign of extreme confidence, right? Like as 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 they mentioned on the Verge guys, I think I, I agree with this. Is that this is a power play, 
right? Like this is not something you do if you're not confident in your chip design, right? Like you you are extremely confident because you're going to be putting this in the most like the the, the thing that you sell the like the, the product the product line that you sell uh like the specific the like the skew that you sell a lot of that you're going to put this chip in that fucking skew, right? This is the, this is the like the MacBook Air, right? I, I don't think people understand how popular the MacBook is pro the MacBook Air specifically is like i mean especially because you get it for 900 in the u.s on if you have a student email right, right? students are buying this lab this is a student laptop right like this this is going to be in universities uh, like you're going to have people running this like next year or, or like the people who are going to go to university next year or whatever are going to be buying this kind of laptop right like that's the market we're dealing with which is this is not like in the like in the windows arm world this is not a, like a niche uh laptop right this is not a high-end niche laptop this is this is Apple's actually like lowest end laptops, right? Like, or even in the Linux world, right? Like the only real laptops you can get are like the Pinebooks and that, right? Like no, like no, like um, what's that company? System seventy six, is it right? Like they they are not saying like they are not switching to ARM anytime soon, and so it's like it's really like this is the first time we've really seen ARM on like a actual consumer grade de- like laptop that people will buy in mass, which is yeah, which uh, which is. Which is like I, I I'm like that's like that's a lot like the one thousand the MacBook Pro this is the uh, MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar is it is it the Touch Bar one or is it- so so okay so there's two tiers of MacBook Pro right there always have been even with the Intel chips so with the Intel chips it used to be um going from the 15 watt 25 watt um Y U series ones right and the in the cheaper MacBook Pro so the one that I have that has the 45 watt chip I believe in it or the higher end Intel ones the more powerful one so mine has the four Thunderbolt port one and there is not a ARM equivalent of that laptop out yet so you still saw the Intel one this is the basically the MacBook Air of a fan, right? That's what this and a touch bar. That's what, and even of Intel, that's what it always was. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, I mean, it's, it's meant to be run in a, like a, you, you, you can run it at a higher like clock for longer, right? Like basically without it throttling. Uh, it is, I mean, that is, that is like, and the thing is, I mean, we have, we have like, there are some bench, like uh, geek bench benchmarks already, like from people who have this, these chips, uh, Somebody has uploaded Geekbench uh, benchmarks, and an Apple, Apple for its as usual, it's it's doing the usual nonsense, which is like it's th- three times faster, like the MacBook Pro is three times faster than the quote unquote fastest Windows laptop in its class. I'm like, which laptop is that? Who? Let's actually let's say let me go who, real quick. Let's go to fa- Amazon. Uh, I, I don't even know. Windows is that laptop? the one on Amazon? Like, what Give me is a second. It? Let like, me is, see. Is, let me see. Did, did t- like Tim could go to Best Buy. <laughs> Let's see. Best sellers on Amazon. I'm, I'm going to go to computers, right? I mean, the Dell XPS 13. Like, is that is that what they're comparing it to? So the best selling laptop on Amazon, right, is a $370 Acer, Acer Aspire 5. Okay, it's not not that's not like they're, they're that's not what they're comparing to. <laughs> and the processor it has, it has an AMD Ryzen 3 3200U with Vega graphics, 4 gigs of RAM, 128 gig SSD, Windows 10 and S mode. And I imagine this probably has it. Oh, what? NVMe. Hold up. NVMe for $364. That's 
I mean, the rest of it is bad, it's though. Bad. The rest, Actually, the rest of it is bad. is bad. So it's probably like the worst NVMe storage you can buy. Uh, D- D- no DRAM on it? Oh, my God. It's bad. Like, I, that sounds... I, that's, I don't think that's the thing they're comparing. It's probably a Dell XPS 13, but like Apple would never say what exactly they're comparing to because then people will actually compare it. So they never say that. So they just say, hey, it's it's the fastest Windows laptop in its class and we're three times faster, which means nothing. Uh so and they don't mention workloads or whatever. There's battery life numbers, uh, right for for the for the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro that they gave. Uh, I don't think we need. I don't know if there is. The, they're saying higher battery life across all of these, just in general, right? So for the for the let me pull up the battery numbers. I believe it's 17 hours they're quoting for the MacBook Air and 20 hours for the MacBook Pro. I I am like this is one of those things that I'm not gonna believe until or or like I'm not gonna like believe Apple's numbers. Okay, well, okay. So as someone who uses the MacBook, right? Let me. I will. We'll phrase it this way. I actually believe if you use only AppKit apps and you use you know like Safari, you'll probably get that because on my MacBook Pro, right, I can get in ten hours of battery life. I use Safari, but nobody does that, bro. Like this is the thing. That's not. That's not that's not how the world works. That's not how people use. But as soon as you put Chrome or Discord right, on it, right? right? Like, that's, like people are going to use Chrome. People are going to use Discord. And you can't like people. You can't be like you can't use Discord because it's quote unquote not a native app. People don't give a shit. Nobody cares what a native app is, bro. This is twenty twenty. Oh, I mean, even worse, right? Discord is going to be, um, <laughs> it's going to be emulated, <laughs> emulated. That's double emulations. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. You're just running a VM in the VM. It's, it's good. Uh, it's, 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 it's very good. Uh, okay. 18 air hours on the, uh, on, on the MacBook area. That's with like Safari and every Apple app, right? Like it's like, you know, you're running mail, you're running Safari, you're running pages or whatever the fuck. Cause I, I think it's important to note too, right? Why we, why we're going on about this, maybe for like the, because I, I think we talk about how like Discord and, and Chrome use battery life, but just to reiterate why that happens, right? So if you use a modern app kit app on a Mac, it tries to do it on Intel, but because Intel is like the smart wake stuff really isn't as good as it should be. It doesn't work that way, but the system's structured for it to work like an iOS app where when you close out of the window, it should, in theory, pause the app, right? And suspend it in RAM. So it isn't taking up active you know resources. And as well, you can't structure your apps to do like the same backgrounding system as an iOS app, right? And I imagine most of Apple's apps, a lot of AppKit apps and other like Catalyst or SwiftUI apps also do work that way. But of course, that whole entire smart pause, smart resume system, right? You know, that sort of system management, Chrome doesn't give a fuck. Chrome's going to demand that it stays in RAM and stays using active CPU time the entire time it's open. The Chrome uses its own, its own power management, its own memory management, right? It it doesn't, like Chrome, Chrome has its own thing going on, right? Like it's, it's, it's self-contained, like memory management. And I mean, and, and to, in as well, like in Chrome's defense, because I also think we sometimes shit on Chrome and web browsers about explaining why they do this, right? They do this because they have out of process, like, you know, it's basically for security and stability reasons that they control. Yes, uh, stability reasons. Our web browsers are extremely complicated and the way they do memory management is probably like, uh, probably like a 300 level university course on by themselves because like, it's like very complicated, like the way they do memory management. Like they have to dare. De- they're they're an operating system almost right like basically you can call them operating systems by the, at this point uh, in many ways because 
they do active memory management. Uh, they do garbage collection and all that, all that shit, right? So they're, they're doing that on their own and they're like, they have multiple processes, right? Multiple threads, separate processes for GPU integrations. Like it's, it's, it's complicated, right? And, and, and like, this is why on Windows, right? Like the reason that, that, Edge runs so much better than Chrome and Chrome has been getting better on Windows is that Microsoft has just been like on the back end switching some of the memory management systems and GPU stuff that Chrome uses, right? To just be the Windows stock one because it's fine. <laughs> and just doing that gains you huge like speed benefits. Firefox is still doing its own thing, you know, uh, but it's fine. Firefox on Windows for me is fine. I've heard Firefox on Linux is not, not, not that good actually. It uses. Well, I mean, you also don't have a laptop, right? He's like, these, these are fine for stability reasons, right? It's just power management is where like it starts to run shit. Power management. It uses more CPU and therefore it uses more, more power in general because it's not idling as much, et cetera, et cetera. It adds up the, the battery usage really starts to, you know, go down when you start using these apps. So yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the, those are the numbers that Apple is providing right now. And obviously. Well, also, they also gave us two that they, um, they did say that both of these have double the SSD speeds. And I don't know. Like, what I that need to means? wait until I fix the teardown. Is it NVM Gen 4, right? Is it just Gen 4 NVMe drives? Or is there something on the SSD that um, gives better data compression or something on the SSD? Yeah, like the data, the controller on it is better or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. Like, double to what? Is that last gen MacBook Pros? Yeah, from the last gen okay. MacBook. Yeah, from gen uh, okay, to gen, cool. double speed. I mean, people will measure, fine. People yeah. will measure these, so uh, we'll just have to wait, right? We just have to wait until these, like the review units are in people's hands, like Anantech, uh and other people who do these kind of uh, benchmarks will definitely be looking at the I/O numbers. We'll be looking at the CPU benchmarks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, I mean, at least for you though, they have um, they have Wi-Fi six now, you know. Yes, they do have, which is not surprising considering it is the same. I mean, it's not the same chip, but like it, it is the descendant of the chip that has Wi-Fi six, which is the uh, A fourteen. Is that the- right? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense from not just to use the same like antenna system as the phones, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's the same architecture, right? Basically, mostly the same architecture. Like it's, it's not like the, it's like well, we just put this here. Like, it's already there. Why would we not? We, they would, there's no way. Yeah, it makes, it's more work to remove it than, than to just copy it, basically. Uh, so there's the Mac Mini. I feel like we need to talk about this a little bit. Uh, the Mac Mini uh, is a desktop computer, nominally. Uh, nominally a desktop computer, I would say, right? Like, this is the lowest-end uh, Apple desktop computer. This has the same chip, the M1, uh, up to 16 gigabytes of RAM and you can get up to two terabytes of SSD storage. Uh, and the RAM is not uh, replaceable, I believe, right? It's soldered yeah, on. Yeah, because it's basically like, well, I don't even know if it's soldered on, right? It might just be included in the actual die itself now, right? Like an iPhone is, right? It may just be included on that same package. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, it has the same, all the other, other features that the, I mean, the M1 has like the Thunderbolt and USB 4, the, uh, Wi-Fi 6, gigabit Ethernet, HDMI, well, HDMI, this one has HDMI. Um, and what this actually looks pretty good. I, like, I wouldn't, thing is, this, like, it's $700, right? 700 US dollars, right? Like the pricing. So it would be like, what, like 900 or so, uh, Canadian dollars. And for 900 Canadian dollars, as a desktop computer, that's the base model though, right? Like I would be like, if, if I get like, if, if you get like 
you get them. I would uh, upgrade the RAM and the storage. I mean, that's I think the thing. Like you get five hundred twelve. I mean, this sixteen gigs. So let's say, let's actually let's back one out. Let's see if we did sixteen gigs of RAM, half a terabyte of SSD. I think is probably good, right? So let's let's do that. Let's see how much that would come out to. Yeah, let's let's like yeah, let's. Uh, so you could. Uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, there is two SKUs on the Apple picture, right? There's the uh, one with the two fifty six gigabyte of storage and eight gigs of RAM, but it is the oh, there's three three SKUs here. The the biggest SKU here is the Intel one. If you need it, if you still need it, PZ, PZ for example, the Intel one you can still get like one hundred twenty gigs of RAM, and I think it has ten gig Ethernet, and so sixty four gigs, I believe. I think sixty four gigs is the max on the uh, the older on the, on the Intel one. Uh, I believe is the RAM limit on that. Um, yeah, but yes, this is the RAM limit is sixteen instead of instead of sixty four, which is uh, which is a drop. I mean, it is it is a thing, right? I think they're I think this is artificial, though, right? Like, I think the RAM limits on this in the air are artificial. For just think of it, right? If you if you need thirty two gigs of RAM, does this processor and GPU support that workload? Right? Like, do you want to be using this specific silicon to do those workloads if you need that much RAM? Yeah, I I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, that's 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 the thing. Uh, I I don't, this is uh, but this uh, but that said, this is like for 60, uh, 16 gigs of RAM. You put this uh, like. I don't know, five to a, it's like a grand basically. A grand, yeah, it's like so, a grand, grand. Okay. So that's that's still a good desktop computer, right? That's I mean that's what I'm trying to say is that you have this, you have two USB A ports on the back as well. And surprisingly, the headphone jack. Uh or the three point five millimeter audio jack or whatever. Like, you know, I don't think you're connecting a head headphone to it, maybe not. Uh maybe a speaker instead. But like it's there. Uh, and it, it's, it's, uh, two SBA ports, one HDMI 2.0 port, uh, Thunderbolt ports and, uh, Ethernet port. So, like, it's, it looks fine to me. Like, it, it seems like a good desktop. Like, if I would, like, if somebody was like, hey, I want to buy a Mac desktop, but I don't want to buy, like, you know, like, uh, iMac or an iMac Pro, you know? Whatever, like you know, the big ones, right? Like, uh, or the or, the, or uh, I don't want to spend like that much money. I would be like, you know, get the Mac Mini. It's actually pretty good. Like, it's just just bump up the RAM and the storage, and you're good. Like, it's it's. Uh, I think this will sell a lot, to be honest. Uh, and I think it'll probably sell a lot too for um for server farms and such because with um. With Big Sur, we'll talk about later, but they added a clause in their in their end user license agreement allowing macOS to be ran in VM server farms like Linode now. So you can you now can it, you get official blessings in the uh, EULA to actually be able to do that. So folks like Mac Mini Cola were like, I think I'll put the I'll put it in the show notes, but I think they had a blog post saying like, hey, we can now slice up some of these Mac Minis and actually you know not have like one server per per or like one physical unit right per person renting it per. Uh... That's that's cool. So like for people who uh, have build servers and whatnot, uh, yeah, basically for game developers who don't want to buy a Mac to sign their apps, it's basically what I'm saying. You might use it for. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm. That's what I imagine. This is gonna sell like a lot to like people who need need a Mac to do like a build server. I mean, okay, think about it. This like is uh like the cheapest Mac you can get that if you want to if you you want to become like an iOS or Mac developer. Like is this is the cheapest entry point, right? At this point, right? Isn't it like the cheapest entry point for it? I mean, it's a death. Yeah, I mean, if you have the monitor and keyboard, right? Because obviously, if you 
if you don't have a modern keyboard, that 800R MacBook Air is probably the cheapest. Yeah, that I, I would agree. Like, if you don't have the Mac, like if you, if you want a laptop, yeah, that would that would still be. Yeah, if, but if you if you have a like a monitor that has HDMI, you know, and and you you want a desktop, like I I, I would be like this is this is a pretty good starting point for that as well. Um, yeah, that's I'm. Uh, I think there's a couple of um, sort of unanswered questions about this whole transition, right? Because I actually. I think CPU speed's going to be fine. Like, I don't think that we're going to be lacking on the processor side of it. And as well, too, I think with this, they're now building in some of the headroom you get with iOS devices, where I feel like Macs start to get a little more pokey when you get near, like, them being 10 years old, 8 years old, right? Whereas iOS devices, like with the iPhone 10 onwards, have been holding up fine a couple years into it. So I think really, like, the, the speed improvements we're seeing in these won't necessarily translate to like people using office and like google docs and stuff right being better but no it's a, it's a lot of like new, the neural neural net stuff right the neural net stuff improves year over year right like they have more core more cores for the neural nets and neural nets can do more operations per second right I, and that's not really thing you can really notice right like that's not the kind of thing that you are benchmarking for even like, i don't even i don't even you can benchmark the neural nets like that but like right but i but i wouldn't be surprised if these last longer terms of software support yeah. just because of how much more headroom exactly that's what i mean like right? so this is basically like a uh, like a sibling to the uh, the a14 does that mean it gets like a five-year support cycle like the A14 does? Like, uh, well, I mean, Macs usually get seven years, oh, right? Seven years. So like, even seven, iPhones out okay. seven years, right? Because well, I think yeah. if you, for Big Sur, 2013 is the cutoff, right, for computers yes. being installed? Yeah, we'll get to Big Sur in a moment. But yes, 2013 is the cutoff, which means that my MacBook Pro is still in. My 2015 MacBook Pro, my base model 13-inch MacBook Pro is still gone. Uh, but the bigger question, right, the bigger question here is, what is that GPU story like? Because, sure, sure, four phones, four phones, they make good GP, good GPUs, but, but these don't have like RT cores. I, Metal, yes, can do some of the stuff that CUDA and other stuff can, but. I mean, I, I'm, RT, I, 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 I don't really, I mean, for the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, like RT cores, I don't think are, you know, important. MacBook Pro, yes. Like maybe. When you start scaling maybe. it up, right? I, I mean, the base well, model MacBook Pro. Like, VFX work, right? I mean, yes. not for the base model, right? Yeah. But like in general, they haven't announced if this like set of, you know, silicon, right, can do those more advanced GPU features. Because when you start, if you're building an iMac Pro style class machine, right, a Mac Pro class machine, the 16 inch MacBook Pro class machine, what you would want is, you know, comparable compute to. Yeah, dedicated GPU. You want a dedicated GPU. That's the thing it's missing, right? Like this, that's the problem. Like it has, a, it has no support for dedicated GPUs and it's, it's going into machines that obviously cannot support dedicated GPUs either. So right now the GPU story is basically Apple being like, yeah, this is going to be fine for people who just use like, like this will run Minecraft and, and 4K Minecraft YouTube fine, right? Will be fine. <laughs> like, that'll be fine, but uh, anything that supports metal will probably be very good. World of Warcraft, I'm guessing, will run pretty good on this. You know? Wait, does this does this support OpenGL? Ooh, Ooh. that's a good I mean, we'll question. Find out. We'll find out. It's not right. I mean, that's not a thing you can find out yet. But like when these shim- yeah, because OpenGL is depreciated on Intel Macs, right? And I mean, th- I guess you would have to write a shim for the silicon to run OpenGL with like metal being the interpreter, interpreter right? Yeah, with OpenGL to Battleship or whatever, right? Like, uh, I that's the question. I mean, will WoW run? WoW does. Well, I don't think WoW has an ARM build. No, or, WoW is uh, metal though. So think about it like this: even though WoW doesn't have an um a specific ARM build, 
because it's metal, the GPU side of it is like, it's all going to be almost native in terms of execution there because metal calls automatically get translated, right? They're one and one because it's, it's an abstracted API. You're not writing x86 specific code if you do AppKit, right? This is why Rosetta is so fast because, a lo- I mean, yes, there are some native apps, right, that need like, you know, x86 instructions um, instruction sets that is only specific to x86 that has to be emulated or translated in some wacky way to get working on arm but if you're doing a swift ui app there's nothing in there like for example maybe like with virtual studio right some of the gpu stuff i was doing to get the um scene like loading to you know to render out the character some of that is dealing with like floats and specific like math types that may work differently on arm instruction sets versus intel but if you're doing like a regular metal call, right? That's you, that can be a one to one translation because it's the same API on both. Oh, so it's like abstracted out, right? So you don't care about the GPU. Like you talk to metal and metal then talks to the GPU. Like you don't have to worry about like the exact, like what, what right. the metal is. So doing. I mean, I imagine World of Warcraft might have a slight performance hit until it's natively compiled for ARM, but because it's a game, I actually think it'll be mostly fine, right? I think DirectX be- <laughs> is DirectX, regardless if you're on AMD yeah, or, you know, or NVIDIA GPU. Yeah, the game situation is interesting because, I mean, Macs are not, I mean, we, I'll say that Macs are not the platform if you want to get like, get into, if you want to get into video games. Um, but it'll run Genshin Impact oh fine, God, right? This will run, run iOS Impact. games. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, or actually Hades. You know, if you're buying an R Mac, buy Hades. Oh there you go. God. Hades has a native oh, yeah, it's like twenty bucks. Or, not in the arm build. Yeah, yeah. It has a it has a x86 build, but it's metal, right? So it'll be fine. Mm, all right. Yeah, yeah. Buy buy one of these and run Hades on it. Sure. Uh, so yeah, those. I mean, that's. <laughs> I I don't know how. Like this is one of those things. Like I I mean, this is the first time in my lifetime that I see I'm seeing a major architecture transition for a major operating system like this. Um, right? Like the last time this happened for Mac was the PowerPC to x86 transition, right? But Mac OS wasn't like widely used that, right? It was still pretty niche. I, and I was, and I was like a child. Uh, so like I, I, I didn't know anything about computers. Uh, so this is the first time I'm living through like experiencing. I mean, I'm not experiencing it because I'm, I'm not likely to be buying any of these. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to buy Macs in the near future, uh, unless something drastically changes in my lifestyle, uh, computing wise. But like, yeah, like this is gonna, I'm gonna be like, I'm, I'm just extremely curious how this is gonna, ha- this, what is gonna happen. And, and not just like, not just this year and the coming year, but like the next five years and next 10 years. Well, yeah, cause like, I think I said, we said earlier, like when we were talking about Windows 10, like I, like I'm telling all this, this you're seeing, right? This is how, and I don't mean from like a UI perspective. I'm talking about from like a how the processor architected, how system security, the integrity yes. of the of the operating system, the, the, system itself, right? and the, machine, the boot yeah. process, all of that. This is what Microsoft is going to eventually make Windows be like, and not for desktops, right? I think desktops is a far way off, but I would I would be I would not be shocked if they start with surfaces, right, and then start moving out to other OEMs. To push them more towards like having a Microsoft controlled secure boot environment, right? For all consumer devices. Right, right, right. Like boot for all the way from the, like the UFI, UFI signers and the, and the, you know, the, the operating system verification. Yeah. To like sign system volumes, right? That users can't touch, right? Anything like that. Yeah. So like a trusted platform module is already a thing in Surface things. Like all, all Surface laptops, Surface devices have a trusted platform module. Right, which uh, which does like some sort of oh, I forget what TPMs do, but uh, I think they do like some sort of signing verification thing. 
But yeah, like yeah, this is. Uh, and I hate like I don't know some some people in our audience are, are about to die uh, when I say that this is going to be the future of computing. Uh, when I say that, uh, and I and I mean that I'm not like I'm I'm being serious. Like this is the direction that Microsoft and Apple are moving. Apple has already moved in this direction significantly over the past like five years or 10 years, right? Like they have, this is the direction they have been intending to move, right? Like this is the, this is the ultimate, like the, this transition was not something they thought of like this year. Like this, this has been in the works for probably the last 10 years, right? Like this is, they have been thinking about this for the last 10 years, right? This is the direction. Right, because it's basically, they're just copying and pasting the iOS, like, you know, system, security system, right? All the way to Max. And and I mean, and the thing with Microsoft too, right? It's more on the Windows side. No enterprise is going to complain if they can have a remotely managed environment, right? With dedicated security that they can, you know, control through some sort of like Office 365, you know, some sort of like, some sort of management software, vice management panel. Yeah. Like Like for them, it benefits it. And for Microsoft, it benefits them because they don't, you get so many security vulnerabilities out of the way if you can't touch the system partition, right? Like if you can't, if users can't touch it, then that means also malware can't touch it. Right, right, right. Exactly. Like it's, that's the thing. Like the integrity of the operating system is the thing that they're trying to secure here. And yeah, Windows is a, Microsoft is a, Further off because just because how the Microsoft, like Windows is just the more uh, open and diverse platform, right? And Microsoft obviously doesn't control the hardware for the majority of the of the Windows uh, Windows ecosystem, right? So like that's that, that's. But I mean, on the software side, they're getting there, right? Like if you look at Windows 10X, right? 10X has that shim that'll run like a virtualized Win32 environment, right? Just to get legacy software running, and as soon as that gets fast enough, they could roll that out. <sighs> But it is, I, I, but the problem is, but the problem here for Microsoft is that they have to partner with Snapdragon, with Qualcomm. And we all know that Qualcomm's chips are not as good, uh, just in general compared to Apple's ARM offerings, right? Like they're just bad, like, uh, performance wise, right? Which is, which is why, like, Microsoft is not out here boasting about, uh, the SQ one. I mean, Panos Panay might boast about it, but I mean, real talk, like it's, it's not, it's not a good chip, right? Like that's. Like you remember on the, if you're listening to the Vergecast earlier this week, they mentioned that like Apple was pissed that we kept comparing this to Windows on ARM because Qualcomm just fucked over their, their transition by it being so bad. Yeah. The Qualcomm stuff is like light years behind what Apple is doing in their chip. It's, this is not, this is not an exaggeration. This is not a thing that I'm making up. Well, like for, like for example, I think a tangible part of this, right, is Microsoft has to still have shims for 32-bit software to be emulated at 64-bit ARM, whereas Apple, these CPUs have no 32-bit instruction sets at all. Doesn't give a shit. They have, they made the transition already. They made the 64-bit transition last year, right, with Catalina, right? The Catalina was the big cutoff for uh, 64-bit versus 32-bit, right? And again, there was a lot of groaning uh, because a lot, of, a lot of software broke. Uh, that old software that was like no longer being developed, that, like didn't have sixty-four bit builds or universal builds or whatever, right? Uh, and Apple is like, yeah, we're like, like they 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 are they planned that out, like they they did the sixty-four bit transition across all their architectures, right? Intel and ARM, uh, like like all all their shit is sixty-four bit now, right? Like if you buy an Apple device now, it is a sixty-four bit. Uh, device right? because it makes this transition so much easier, right? Because they don't have to they don't have to worry about any shims or any like um compatibility hardware on the SOC side. Like there's just no 32 bit instructions because you don't need it. There's no 32 bit. They don't care. They it is not relevant, right? It might as well not exist uh, in Apple world at this point. 
So like Apple gets the Apple gets the uh, sort of power to do that in their in their ecosystem because they control the hardware and the software. Uh, obviously, Microsoft is uh, not in uh, this. They control the software, but they do not control the hardware. Uh, which, yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Microsoft is trying to figure out how do we make systems secure when you have twenty apps on your system just to control RGB, <laughs> right? Yeah, like you got <laughs> Razor software. You can't. You can't be like you know. You got stuff running as as system services like that is like DRM like for video games. You know, like it's difficult, bro. You can't break the Corsair Commander Pro. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about operating systems then. That's, I mean, I guess not systems, but one operating system. And this, is- and I think we should before we talk about Big Sur. I think we should have a, on the subject of security. Actually, I think this will segue nicely into a little bit of the mishap that happened when it launched earlier this week. Okay, uh, so uh, this launched when was this? It launched in uh, what was it? Thursday, Thursday, the, this Thursday. Uh, and uh, there was uh, a hiccup, uh, as uh, unusual, really. I think this is the first time I've seen this sort of hiccup. Uh, is, it's happened on iOS uh, once. I think like it happened on ago. iOS once, but uh, this, like, like this was significant. Is that when people went to download Big Sur on their Macs, like the download would take download was very, very slow. It was slow or it would fail. So like I had the issue where um it told me three days remaining and then after and then I tried it again and it was like cannot cannot um verify update. Failed. Okay, so now now, now that actually confirms something. You just confirmed something for me, which is that it is not and I don't think it's the downloads like the CDN servers that failed. Uh in my in my like it's an educated guess because obviously Apple would never disclose what actually happened because it's Apple and they're very secretive. Uh, but I think what happened here is there was a backend set of servers that verified the authentic, like the authenticate the, the validity and the checksums for the operating system that you're downloading, right? Like in this case, Big Sur, right? And that particular server, for some reason, just fell the fuck over, like servers or, you know, server farm or network or whatever, whatever fell, just fell, just fell over, like, you know, just, just flat on the flat on its face, just, you know, just slow as hell it felt. And guess, and this one, this affected not just verification and validation of operating systems, uh, like big, like the big, like big Sur, but also it affected infrastructure for, I guessing maybe it is shared infrastructure for, for OCSP validation on, on Mac OS, right? So OCSP.apple.com, which is the endpoint that Macs use to validate developer certificates. Yeah, and I think we should take a moment. I've explained this before about how like launching an app works on macOS, but I think it's important, right? Can you explain the notarization process? I think maybe we should explain notarization first because that happens once and that's probably easier to explain first. Right, right, right. So when you, like, this is anyone, right, who, if your app launches on macOS nowadays and you don't have system privacy protection turned off, they have done this, right? Because you can't launch software unless it's, this process has been done. But basically, when you are building software, you have your developer account, right? You reach out to the signing the signing server to get the actual bundle signed, and when it is signed, the parlance Apple uses that it's stapled. You know, they staple the um, certificate on it, and when that state when that certificate is stapled to it, the system recognizes that's a valid certificate, and then it'll go ahead and allow you to install the software. That's like a super basic overview. There's far more in depth. There's WDC videos you can see on this. But at the same time, when it is stapled, if you have a, you know, if I have my dope cool app on Overwatch, um, Ludes, that Static's been working on for the past three years, you know, and we're, and you're downloading it, 
you will you will go ahead and double click on the you know the software when you install it and then on initial launch and also in subsequent launches it just validates the the actual certificate itself that it's a valid one right it doesn't send any like ha- like you know logging per se that you are the person who is opening it it's just basically like like say when you go to a website right and it's https and it's trying to check the certificate same system right it'll just go ahead and say okay is this a valid cert or not okay so right now you're talking about you're talking about ocsp right uh okay so OCSP, you can you can look up what OCSP is. It is a standards protocol, right? It is not a it's not a proprietary uh, protocol. It is uh, it is it is well defined by uh, like standards standards implementation, and it's it's deployed by multiple vendors. Uh, OCSP online certificate status protocol uh, is what it is. It's 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 a protocol used to uh, obtain the revocation status of a of an SSL uh, of an SSL certificate, and in, in, in the, the technical parlance is what is called the X.509 digital certificate. That's basically an SSL certificate, right? It's de- it's described on RFC six nine six zero. If you want to, you know, read the standards. But so what 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 this is is when like for example, what happens in on in in macOS, right? So this is this is what happens is when. I don't think it happens every time you launch it. I know it doesn't happen every time. Like the, the, the there's a blog post that we're gonna like that goes into detail, but it doesn't happen every time. It happens every once in a while. So you launch an app, and the app is signed. For example, if you launch, uh, say, Firefox, and it is obviously going to be signed by a Mozilla developer certificate, right? That is uh, that is uh, like Mozilla has a developer ID, developer account with Apple. They they have a developer certificate that they use the code sign the the binary right the uh, the app bundle right uh, and when you when you launch when you when you, when you click the launch button on the app uh, there's a thing called trust D on macOS that will what it will do is it will send the certificate like uh, hash right like the issuer name the hash of the issuer's name uh, a hash of the issuer's key. And uh, a, a serial number of the certificate uh, to the OCSB server, right? That, that is at ocsb.apple.com. And what the OCSB server does is it's actually, this is kind of, maybe it's not intuitive to people to understand like what OCSB does. It doesn't check if the, if the certificate is actually a, like a valid certificate. It checks if it's revoked. So it's, it is, it's like, a, it's, it's, it's hard to, I mean, if you read the Wikipedia page on OCSB, it does go into that, but it's like. Well, I think, I think a good example maybe to help sort of explain what you're saying is, and this is, they have done it before, malware, right? Let's say, for example, someone makes malware that has been, you know, that they've gotten signed and then Apple detects it, they revoke it. That, okay, so this this happens sometimes is that uh, malware, like high-end malware authors, sometimes, uh, or sometimes, or like pretty often these days, can sometimes steal uh, valid code signing certificates from legitimate companies, right? Like they got into some, some legitimate company's build server or system and they stole the the private key and the and the, the certificate, right? And that allows them to obviously do the code signing themselves for their malware, right? Using the same private key, uh, and that means that would show up as that. And now, if, if Apple say it was like, okay, that is malware, we're gonna we're gonna revoke this, uh, we're gonna revoke that particular uh, serial number uh, and the hashes for the, that certificate in our system. 
And now, now when, when the OCSP, like when, when the Mac OS, like Trust D makes the request to the OCSP server, the OCSP server, like when you send the hashes and the serial number to the OCSP server, it's going to be like, Hey, this is this, this one has been revoked and shouldn't like trustee will be like, okay, so that means we cannot launch this, right? Like I would imagine trustee will throw up some sort of warning. I don't know. I've never seen this. I imagine if I had to take, I haven't seen it happen because I don't usually think they have not got malware on, but if I had to take a shot in the dark, I imagine you get the same screen when you try and launch an unsigned app, right? That says, Hey, we cannot validate this app for malware. Press okay or move it to the trash. That's probably what you would also get in that case. Yeah. So the OCSP server has like this certificate has been revoked on our end. Like if that our record, like basically also like this certificate is like it, 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 its status is revoked. So and then then trustee will will do the rest. Like trustee will be like, hey, that okay. So then we are not launching this app. Then we're gonna have to throw out a warning to the user, right? Uh, so that is what OCSP does. It does not send uh, a contrary contrary to popular misinformation, I guess. Uh, it, it does not send the exact hash of the binary of the app, app bundle, right? It sends the hashes of the certificate that is used to sign the app bundle, right? There's a difference. This is, that, that, is a, that is a significant difference, actually, because it means that if you have this like multiple Google applications on your machine, they're probably all going to be using the same signing key, right? Because uh, it's the same developer ID and the same signing code signing certificate. Or if you're using, for example, Firefox and Thunderbird, both of those are going to have the exact same uh, signing, uh, like code signing certificate, because they're both signed by the same developer ID, which has the same the developer certificate, right? So it does not it does not provide any sort of okay. It does not like it directly say what app you're launching, right? Like if if it is a developer that only makes one app, then I mean you can infer that, but that is not like if it's if it's Marco Arment's key. Okay, fine, you're using Overcast, right? Like in that case, yeah, you're using Overcast, right? Like if if it's like a small developer and they only make like one app that is code signed, right? And you launch that specific app, then it's pretty obvious which app you're launching. Yeah, and if it's like if it's underscore David Smith key, like who knows? You're just a cool person because you're using his apps, right? Like you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know, right? Like that's that's the thing, right? But it does not. It, it technically does not send the 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 hash of the application or the name of the application or or like. And I do not like. There is no way to like. Apple has not made any statement on this, nor has. And there's only speculation. I don't think Apple logs OCSP requests uh, like that. Like they don't rec- like they have a list of certificates, obviously, because those are their developer ID certificates. I mean, that's 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 just. I mean, they probably have an aggregate, right? They probably know like how many people in aggregate who are launching this. So- they probably have some aggregate stats of like what what's what certificates are launched a lot, or what certificates are are new or uh, or have been revoked, right? They probably have an internal list of that, but they don't use it for any sort of uh, data collection for uh, like to identify individual users. I don't think it's probably just aggregate. Data. And on the other hand, though, just just so to provide parties or. Um, provide, I think, um, neutrality sake here, because I think there's a lot of articles going out that, hey, it did make your Macs like, not launch an app for like half an hour while they're fixing it, which is bad objectively. Yes, which is bad, which is, I, uh, that, that's a, that is the actual problem here, in my opinion. In my opinion, the technically, in the technical sense, that is the actual problem is that the system that they have, which didn't, which, okay, so what, how Trust D works, and it, 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 like, the app would launch if you disconnected from the internet, which means, that it has a fail 
opens thing going on if it's if it just hard fails like it can't connect to the internet at all and that means it cannot connect to the OCSP server at all then then it'll just that means that there either is a cache on the system or it says fine you know we're not you know like oh you can open the software we're not going to stop you from using your computer if we can't connect you're not going to stop you but but what happened in on this Pixar launch day was that since the OCSP server was still responding but very very slowly right and what would happen is somebody would uh, like hit launch on an app on Mac OS and it would do the like trustee would do the OCSP protocol request and it would just hang there because it was just waiting on a like the server would respond with the the the, the, the HTTP request and then it would just like it would just like the connection would just be hanging like the the server just so backed up or log, like there's some sort of problem that's preventing it from responding quickly right and it just like stayed there and that means the app would like trustee would just be like holding like holding on before before the app launch and it would sometimes it would take like 15 minutes for the app to launch just because to get the response from the OCSP server right then trustee would be like okay you can and it was also it was a specific server too that was like the culprit is i was reading about it on reddit when it was happening um because i was i was working and um also experiencing that issue but you would see that if you use the VPN to say you're in a different country and not in the US, you wouldn't have that problem. Apps would open instantaneously. Interesting. So maybe a localized failure. Then maybe some spot, like maybe in the United States, maybe some sort of uh, maybe maybe their app servers, uh, like those CSB app servers in the in the United States, just fell over or something like, or or had some sort of other issue that we uh, don't know. Uh, which makes sense. These things are probably anycasted or CDN in some way. Uh, so in, if, if you're in a different region, it'll go to a server that's closer to you, right? So the, the, that's probably what it's happened. Also, wait, haven't we talked about this before? Now I'm thinking about it. Didn't we have a story about on like how poor network connectivity sometimes Mac apps would take longer than load than if you had that? I feel, right, right? Yes, I believe we, oh, so I, I just didn't, wait, okay, wait, so, so, so hold on. Wait, right? Uh, so yeah, like ocsp.apple.com, if you do a DNS lookup on it, you'll see the, the it points to a C named that is like ocsp-lb.apple.com.aka.dns.net, which is Akamai. So this is being fronted by Akamai's uh, DNS uh, and, and, and CTN, but it's like, it's still Apple IPs, but it is being fronted by by uh, Akamai in different regions, right? So that, that would explain the regional uh, difference in this issue, right? Like if, if it's like the, just the North American backends or front ends that fell over, um, and, and then it didn't affect the rest of the world. Uh, but yes, so that is the bad. Like that's the problem here. So I think what Apple needs to implement here uh, is some sort of uh, quick timeout. Like if 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 uh, if you do not get a response from the OCSP server within ten seconds. You just consider it a hard fail, man. I would say within under a second. Honestly, I feel like it would be safe to say like under a second. Would it? Under, I mean, would it under? I mean, I'm just uh, uh, counting. I mean, I'm I'm t- being, giving it ten seconds just for people who have just bad connectivity in general. You know, uh, I don't know. Like, I just I just wanted to. Ten seconds was just a ballpark number, right? Like, if it's not like if uh, five seconds, maybe right? Like five seconds, maybe. Or I mean, or they could they could do some like fancy guess guessments on it like for example like well like we'll talk about big sir right you have let's say you have a cache file right let's say like if the file has been updated in the last week right under a second if it doesn't respond under a second we probably haven't changed the status of that you know that cert in the last week right you could but- and if you have to make if you have to make a request to ocsp server wait no more than five seconds right 
Like, right. Like, okay, yeah, there's like, a smarter way to handle there's it. There's definitely some. I, mean, until... they, 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 I guess they never thought this would happen. Uh, for some reason, I mean, I mean, uh, it's it's always like that. Where you, you you think that something is probably not going to happen, and it happens, and you're like, okay, I guess we have to make some changes. And yes, uh, this should make the follower like if you yeah if you, if, if the OCSV server does not return a response within a certain a small time frame, like a ten, five ten seconds, then consider the connection to be uh, like the the network. To be either like just consider it a failure, like hard failure state, and do what do you do if you uh, if there was no network connection, which is just let the app launch, right? Uh, and I, and I think that would basically solve this problem for them forever. Um, so yeah, I mean, ten seconds is probably a little too much. Maybe five seconds is I'm five five seconds is probably fine. Yeah, five seconds seems about right if you don't like five seconds is five thousand milliseconds. And if you're not getting a response from a server within five thousand milliseconds, that's probably bad. Uh, so, so that is the OCSB article, OCSB, no, 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 OCSB concept and the, and the notarization also, which is separate. No, okay. OCSB, because it does not want to cause a, a loop is actually checks over plain text HTTP. This is just because it is checking the validity of an SSL certificate. So it cannot make an SSL connection. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. People are saying like it's being said unencrypted, but like you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> you understand what I? You know why I'm? Yeah, it's it's signed. It's signed. The, the, you can't do that because you, like if you wanted to make a SSL uh, connection, then you'd have to do OCSB on that SSL. Connection. You're stuck in a loop, right? Like so, it's like, uh, so it, it it is done over plain text HTTP, which I don't think is is really. A, it's it's not really a problem, folks. Uh, I I don't think your your OCSP request being plain text is is not a big deal. Like yes, for example, if I'm at if I'm at Sadik's house, you know, and I'm watching my dope new Ludo Overwatch app that I've been working with him on, like okay, fine, maybe if he's sniffing the, the network, you know, he'll see a hash for Overwatch. Like cool, that's great information. I don't think it really like in terms of opsec, that's not where you start nor where you end. <laughs> no, I mean if you're really worried about that, you probably want to run some sort of VPN tunnel with secure network, uh, like. It's that's not really. This is not really. Uh, like I don't. This is. I don't even consider this a binary attack vector, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I just, I, I don't, I just don't think. And also another note: if you are a technical user and you understand what OCSP is, do not, in under any circumstances, recommend broadly that people blog OCSP.apple.com because. Uh, this is not advice you should be giving to non-technical users because this is so. This is the same thing as telling someone to turn off system integrity protection. Yes, yes, absolutely. Do not do that. Absolutely, if you are, especially if you understand what OCSP does and you understand what what its security, like what what sort of secure security it provides, and what sort of process it is, what what it does, do not provide that sort of advice. And if you do not know OCSP's what was this basis? Especially then, don't provide any advice because then you're just being you're just misguiding people here. Uh, and especially, do not spread misinformation and unnecessary. And this is one of the things I I don't know if like how like don't like be don't be hyster like don't create hysteria when it comes to information security because it creates uh like the the boy cried wolf scenario is that if you if you're if you're crying wolf about something that is not actually a, a, like a threat then people are going to ignore you when it, it's like an actual threat there's an actual threat happening right right like for like for, i think the best way to put it is that there is a reason that there are companies dedicated to like a couple teams, right, who manage all pieces of this, and we don't manage it on our computers normally, right? Because, for example, sure, Linux doesn't have 
this system as far as I'm aware. But at the same time, right, Linux isn't used in, in widespread enough, um, you know, use cases. I mean, Linux, Linux verifies applications in a different way, right? Like it, if you download it from the uh, systems, operating systems repositories, it is signed by GPG keys, usually in the case of Ubuntu, right? So if you really want to verify that, you can verify using what, what, what keys it's signed with, right? You can verify the package. Right, like it's, it's the, the, the package is not tampered with using using GPG, but yes, it like it does not check in the same way that uh, that uh, Windows does with Smart Screen or what, like the way macOS does with OCSP and notarization. Right, it is it's a different kind of check. Um, and I and I think in just in case if you have read the Jeffrey Paul article, I would consider you read the article by uh, Jacopo Janon that we are gonna link. Um, which goes into technical details of what the, what OCSP is, and I think if you if you read that first article, you should read this one because it'll clear up a lot of misunderstanding. I feel like people are having. This is the same thing, right? Remember, like they're talking about how, like, yes, T two chips have like um, that flaw where you can technically boot the device in a mode where you can access some information, right? That should be secured with it, but it does get cleared on reboot, where it's sort of like, yes, that may be an issue. But A, how it's designed, and B, the cases in which it could be an issue do not apply to the majority of people, right? Like, for that that issue, the T2 chip, if someone access to your Mac, well, I mean, they have access to your computer, right? Like, yeah, like we could just, t- I could just open your device, take off, you know, desolder something and put it in na- liquid nitrogen and dump it, right? Like, yeah, cool. If I really wanted to do, you know, do enough damage, I could do it other ways. Mm-hmm. And now we get to Max, uh, uh, back on his picks. Uh, this is going to be a long episode, folks. It's just, I think this is, uh, this is just one of those days where we just a lot to talk about. And it's, 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 y'all should be happy we're not talking about Assassin's Creed and Destiny as well in one episode. <laughs> Valhalla, it's, that's coming, uh, in two weeks, folks. It's, it's, it's happening. But, uh, yeah, we're, right now we're talking about, gonna talk about Mac OS Pixar. So now I, uh, big slur. Yep. I think we should actually start with the security and then we'll go on to the design. I feel like maybe, cause they're, I think because the security bits would be quicker, and and I think it may be, um, you know, it, it's just it's more thematic. And so, so there is the signed system volume, right? Is that the is that the main thing? Right. Yeah. The big change is that the so they last year with APFS um, Bell Sound here, they went ahead and switched from having the system on like one logical volume, right, to it being like ex- explicit different partitions, right? Two, two. Okay, so. Uh... Uh, read only splitting the read only system files and user accessible folders into two totally separate volumes. Uh, so that's that's what happening. Yeah, and with regards to that, now that is essentially right how like you know iPhones, i devices all work. And when you take into account Apple Silicon, right, like the integrity checks start from device boot, the same thing it does on an iPhone, right. So in theory, right, if the volume somehow got compromised, right, it would not boot the device. Similar, you know, that's that's sort of the system that's been moved over here now. But right in theory, should provide quicker updates because in theory, and I, Apple has not published really specifically how they're doing it, but if I had to take a shot in the dark, I imagine when system updates come, it's probably just going to have you boot into like a new system volume, which would, would result in a quicker update because that's just a quick reboot rather than like patching the existing volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I would imagine, yeah, and it's using uh, SHA-256 uh, hashing, uh, just for anyone who cares about that sort of thing, is. That's what the that's what the thing is using to validate the uh, system volume uh, that it hasn't been changed or ta- otherwise tampered with. Right? Uh, and I would imagine the the uh, the this, the so the hash is stored on app like it's fetched from Apple servers, right? To val- for validation. 
uh, I would imagine that's that's what that's what's happening. Um, so that is that is how uh, Mixer is doing its uh, boot protection and its sort of uh, operating system integrity verification. You know. Yeah, and how this how this may like um, show itself, right? Like just as the last example for move on is, for example, if you're like me and use like those apps sometimes that will scan your system for leftovers from Google Chrome or other apps and you uninstall them. It now can no longer touch parts of the system, right? That the software may have written to because it's like read only by that signed, you know, app, right? But this other piece of software may not be able to touch that app space, even if you give it full disk permission. So it will show itself in those ways, but you, I found that you can still manually remove it as the user, but it just won't let software automate it for you, which is fine. I think it's acceptable, but, um, you shouldn't be digging around in system folders anyways. Don't be me. Don't break Mac OS. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, this is one of those things I think if it, like, even as a technical user, I don't, I do not touch operating system folders because it's like these two things are so complicated and I'm not an expert in these operating systems. It means that if, if I make a change and I, it, it breaks something, it's, it's, it's like a pain in the ass, right? Because like, the, it's it's just like do not just just do not touch these like it's uh unless you have re- like unless you're an expert or have significant like, specific reason to touch something do not just uh, do not touch the operating system uh it's easier to just reinstall in most cases right if you're facing sort of operating system problem uh for sure i think even with windows these days the biggest thing in big sur is of is uh quite Quite visual this time, quite upfront, right? This is actually a fairly big release in front of like, user-facing changes, and it is the uh, new design, like of the op- like the visual design of the operating system, right? Uh, the uh, we're gonna link to the um, the Ars Technica review, which uh, which is quite detailed and it goes into a lot of detail about all all the changes, but. What is like I I've I've actually upgraded my MacBook Pro last night, but I haven't have, like really had a chance to look around on it. So what what do you think so far like of the of the visual uh, changes with the you know the the look the new look? So I think I think there's two parts, right? There's of course always with design, it is how it looks and then how it actually functions. And so with regards to appearance, I think they sorted out a lot of the issues from the betas, right? Where some things were illegible. There's hard, you know, the contrast was as strong as it should be. And I think in its final iteration here, it is actually quite nice. And and it strikes the line, I think, of having you know, like, like it was that Gmail problem, right? Where like buttons sometimes don't have labels because it looks nicer. I think they have, they have um, hit a nice balance of some icons don't have buttons, you know, don't have labels on them. But of course, if you hover over it, it'll tell you. But you know, you can still figure out what they are because now the glyphs are almost one to one with iOS, right? So like, if you use an iPhone, it is the exact same glyph for search and other icons, so you could sort of tell, right, what where that is and how it works. That's I think that's that's I think that's a good thing. You know, like it'll, I mean, iOS is an operating system that people will be familiar with, uh, and it those icons are quite good in general. So I think that's a good thing that they have unified this sort of design language for icons. Uh, right, and, but now with regards to how it actually works, though, so I think in practice, I'm this is. To me, there are a lot of nice things in Big Sur that I used to have when I used Linux, right? But you know, like you'd have to like find that one applet, you'd have to set up your GNOME 2 panel in a specific way, right? And then you'd get there. So like, and what I mean by that specifically is like Big Sur has nice things, right? Say, for example, you have your AirPods in 
and you start listening to music on them. In the menu bar, you'll see an icon with the AirPods or your headphones. You click on it, you get per input audio controls, and you can also play pause the whatever's being, you know, whatever. It'll tell you the application that's outputting audio, and you can also control it. If the AirPods turn off noise cancellation, all that. And it's like those sort of niceties that you get with Big Sur that... I know Windows 10 is starting to dabble in it, right? Like I know Windows 10, they recently redid the volume applet, right? So you get sort of that similar style. It's, um, it's, it's, I, it's the, the old style volume mixer is still there, uh, which is, uh, which is all I really need. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's a little rough on Windows. It's not as, it's not as nice, uh, nicely laid out as it is on Mac OS for sure. But yeah, a lot more, uh, from a static perspective, a lot of more rounded corners. Uh, rounded corners everywhere, in fact. Uh, rounded icons, like circular icons, right? Uh, all the, 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 right. Well, like this, yeah, like all the icons in the dock now are all consistent, which I actually like. I think it's actually a nice way of, of doing it, even if I know it does limit some of the design there. But like ultimately, right? Like the interaction model has been, is, just about the same right while this is a new coat of paint they have not gone ahead and you know changed how you interact with your computer right keyboard shortcuts still the same windows still function the same way they would beforehand and so because of that i actually i think that that's sort of the right way to handle a transition right we're like if windows for example got that redesign we finally been wanting right i would hope microsoft would basically say okay we're gonna give us a new coat of paint but the core interaction model will stay the same yeah because people have like so much muscle memory and and uh, I have so much like, uh, like knowledge of like using this operating system in a specific way, right? You don't, you don't, and it works, right? Like it's not broken, so it doesn't need to be touched. Even if I do think Windows 10 is super ugly, I don't think like you know how it works is is bad in in that sense. So, but I, it's this, of course, it's Mac OS 11 now, so it sort of brings begs the question rather of why is this version 11? And I think it is a lot for the developer perspective. I think the dev story here is really huge, and it is going to be Swift UI, right? And more so, the fact of that, especially when it comes to ARM Macs, right, you're going to have the same developer story from an iPhone app to a Mac app, right? So like you still have support for AppKit, and it has been updated to obviously support the new window styles, some of the new features, but the API set is so much more unified now, right? Like I have a working version of Virtual Studio on my Mac, right? That's basically, it's the iPhone version. I didn't do anything. I just, I have like a Mac specific view, right? With tighter buttons because, you know, I don't need like the same kind of spacing you have on a phone interface, but it just, it all scales so nicely. And I think that's really the the, the story here is that, the new design lets them tell consumers why it's going to version 11, but really it's the internal changes from the sort of boot perspective security aspect and then also the dev side that makes it actually worth going a whole version number up, right? Because basically this would be, I think if we were to equate it to Linux or Windows, right? This would be the equivalent of, say, UWP somehow now ran on phones and Windows, right? And like, if you were a new developer, it was actually competent enough where you could build a new app using it, right? And you wouldn't be at an actual deficit in terms of usability or functionality. Uh, I, I actually, I, like, when I first saw this new look, I was like not the hugest fan of the icons. Uh, but right now I'm like looking at these and I think they look 
I don't know if they changed them or tweaked them a little bit, but they look better now to be in any ways. Like, and Yo, they clean them up. They clean up like the drop shadows on them. They've been all tweaked slightly since the original beta. And yeah, I do like the look of the, the, the rounded corners and the sort of like the way that uh, Finder looks right now, like with the icons. Like I, I kind of like that sort of. Finder reminds me a lot like Nautilus, I feel yes. like. The breadcrumb, the breadcrumb the story, the fucking breadcrumbs. <laughs> bread Actually, okay, wait, wait, sidebar here, all right? eGPUs now off the bingo card because like I can't use them anymore, right? eGPU support is no longer functional. So that's off the bingo card. And I am motioning to add breadcrumbs and file managers as a bingo card topic. It does. Like <laughs> I actually like this look uh, a little bit more than I do the, the, the pre big sort of look, the, the, like the sort of more, I like the pre big sort of look is sort of like, I don't know. It feels a little... Well, so the nice thing is, too, about Finder, I would say real quick, too, just before PC did mention it, and I think you, it, it doesn't tell you, so you probably don't know. You get navigation if you right-click it, by the way. Like, I don't know if you have your MacBook out right now, but if you're, like, three folders in and you right-click, you get navigate. You get a navigation tree in Finder. So, like, a hot tip for anyone using this. Oh, that I, I did not know that, actually. That's that's nice to know. That's, that's cool. Cool. I'm running hard Mac Mac use Mac OS tips. <laughs> Mac OS tech tips. Mac OS tech tips. Like honestly, I, like I did it. I don't use my Mac enough to know that kind of things, to be honest. And it's I only just like it's it's basically been collecting dust and I just updated it to to a big star yesterday. So so yeah, uh I like the little icons. I like the I like the iconography, the SF symbols, uh right, and the San Francisco uh everywhere. San Francisco typeface rather. Uh, more unified overall. Uh, so how are like third party apps? For, is there like, has there been any apps that have like any sort of design changes that, uh, that you've noticed? Or like, is it mostly like because AppKit is been updated and it, it, like from an app developer's perspective, like the design language is not that different like right like i don't know so it depends on how custom the app is right so like the rogue abiba software like audio hijack i can tell they so they put out their initial big store release right they said they haven't fully optimized it yet and you can see some of the um custom controls they do aren't meshing with the rounded corners right like the spacing's off for the controls but if you take a more standard third-party app like say the twitter app like the native twitter app it basically looks like it fits in right like you know it already has the transparency uh so if you if you if you if you don't do like a lot of custom uh ui elements and you're just using app kit then you probably like don't have to worry about like you know changing things because it'll be fine uh I would right okay. right yeah if of course you do custom controls then you know you're sort of subject to that yeah that makes that makes sense yeah that, that's that's the like typical like the yeah that's fine I, I mean, Mac OS, Mac OS developers who develop only on Mac for Mac, Mac apps are usually pretty good at updating for design changes anyway. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the, that's one of the benefits of the Mac OS, uh, ecosystem is that developers are very, uh, dedicated, right? Uh, there was a, there was a certain blog post going around from a certain developer about a be, uh, sketch of, uh, of, 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 um, what's it sketch? Yeah. About how native apps are great, and every like every twenty year old who only knows who only works in React was like yelling at them on Twitter. It was a great thread. It was. I love that that Bob was is like fuck you. We make native native apps, and we love doing it. 
You know, I respect, I respect the, I respect these dedication. I respect it. Uh, so that's, a, is there any accessibility changes? I, I know like this is a thing that we talk about it for all uh, iOS changes. Ooh, think, let me actually check. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not, accessibility menu yeah, that's right not, like, now. I'm like looking at the, uh, the, the t- table of contents for the, uh, for the Ars Technica review. There was a section on accessibility, I believe, but, uh, I don't think there were any big changes for accessibility. Uh, yeah, they mentioned accessibility features, but let's see. Uh, I'm checking right here. I mean, I'm seeing like it's. I mean, Mac OS accessibility has already been already been good to begin with. So yeah, accessibility shortcuts. Um, oh, that's like a Control Center module, right? Uh, that's that's like that you can. Oh right, yeah, right. Okay. So Control Center is more like like more like iOS now, right? It's basically iOS, right? Uh, control Center. Like it looks extremely familiar to me. Like it just looks like iOS's control center, just sort of a little bit bigger and like you know. Uh, but yo, it has the best interaction model that Microsoft should copy. So you can let's say for example you have your brightness control right, and you want to just go ahead and add it to your menu bar. You know what you do? You drag it from control t- center to your menu bar, and it's there. Oh, that's good. That's I like that. I like. There's been times, right? Like even on Windows, right? You know, you have the the action controls, right? If you open the notification thing, like I've never, I've never known why Microsoft doesn't just let you drag them to the taskbar, right? If you wanted to pin it there, it would just it makes sense. Yeah, it's I don't. I this is the other thing I don't like the little thing. Yeah, it's it's like why can't I just put the focus of this thing on like my taskbar? Like why do I have to click on the notification thing to click on it? Like I I don't. Yeah, because if, if it's a common control, then you know might as well just go ahead and and, and put it there. Yeah, like I want to like that's the only thing I care about there is like the focus of this thing. Just let me just click on it, put it on my taskbar. Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Right. Also, too, we have widget support now too in the, the notification center. Which yes, widgets. Yeah, we have we have widgets. So I guess like SwiftUI widgets. You know, I guess. Uh, yeah. So it's basically the same thing as widgets on literally the same thing as widgets on iOS. So widgets meant, if you widgets meant for Mac. <laughs> actually, real talk. He should bring it. He could happen. It could happen. I mean, I don't know if he's. If you I, have a I, mean, app, I would you imagine he's no focused work. on the iOS app, but like you know. Like that, it's a possibility. Well, no, no, that's the thing, though, right? You don't have to do any work, right? So if you have a Catalyst app and you port it to to Mac OS, they automatically by default. But show you know, up it's David Smith. He's not just gonna make a Mac like a Catalyst app, bro. He's, he's he's. Oh my god! I mean, he's Swift UI. Yeah, he's gonna make the native Mac view. Yeah, like that. That's the thing. That's, <laughs> right. This is David Smith. We gotta give him some credit. Like yeah, this dude is not just doing Catalyst. You know, he's gonna he's gonna write the Swift UI code for it on Mac OS, and he's gonna port the UI. Right, over. right. Uh, so yeah, like if it happens, I mean. It's possible, like that. The system's there, so you know it's it could happen. Um, there are some smaller changes, I believe, like uh, no more uh, AFP file sharing. I don't know if anybody cares about this, uh, but I imagine some people care. Well, it also supports DNS over HTTPS, which I think is something you care about. Yes. Um, so this is uh, uh, this is so this is the thing that they talked about in WWDC. Yeah, for iPhones and uh, this iPads. This is happening on iOS as well. As well is I mean, it, it happened already. If, we're, if you have iOS 14, it is supported. Is uh, encrypted uh, DNS uh, resolver connections using either DNS over HTTPS or DNS over TLS. Um, it says, I mean, it's not a thing that most people have to worry about. It's usually like it's you have to either manually configure it or it it can come with a VPN profile of some sort or an MDM profile. Like uh like if you have an MDM profile, like the MDM profile could define this sort of thing. Um but otherwise this is not really a thing most people have to care about. Uh 
OpenGL and OpenCL are still here on Apple Silicon Max? Wait, what? Wait, really? Yeah, oh, there's I a, guess there's a metal shim. Yeah, there's um, uh, both APIs uh, are going to be the same as they have been since 2013. OpenGL at version 4.1 and OpenCL at version 1.2. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Can you please update the OpenGL versions? <laughs> Why do you keep that on that specific version imagine if you're the person on the team who is tasked with writing open gl for what a three whatever for the new arm chip like you had to jesus i feel that person deserves a raise yeah i feel bad for that one specific person who's doing it. but um i think we have a couple grab bag stuff right so like for example mail i actually like the new mail interface the updates to it and as well, it fixes the long-standing bug where if you had a Google account added to the mail app, it would randomly open. Oh, uh, this is your bugbear. Uh, this is your... This is. <laughs> it's finally been fixed. Um, I also think the updates to the other apps, like it's been pretty great. Um, nothing like too big, right? It's mostly like the same features changes as iOS 14, but the new you know UI. But lastly, and I think unless we can end with this, unless there's anything else, but I'm about to talk about Safari. If you have nothing else we need to bring up. Yes. So I was about to ask about Safari. Like what, what, what is, what's going on with Safari? Uh, All right. <clears throat> yeah. I know what time it is. I don't know. Do, do I start with HDR? Or do I start with Google Stadia working in the, like, which one, which, which one of the bingo cards did we tackle? Uh, we'll, we'll start with Google, Google Stadia. And we'll end with HDR. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start. All right. Yeah. So Safari on Big Sur supports google quick google quick and we talked about ios is a um, basically like you you could use a webrtc and video stream but it's just basically like a network protocol i think it's a part of https3 or http3 and so basically it supports that here it also brings native google stadia controller support so you can and i did test it you can use it in other apps so like i was playing an apple arcade game and you can use a google stadia oh, that's, controller that's plug nice. into usb-c okay that's cool. um but Basically, this means you now get stuff like Stadia, Amazon Luna will work because you get the next, the more important big thing, native VP9 decoding and specifically GPU accelerated VP9 and decoding. Because sometimes you may have noticed, like if you have a Mac and you use um, Chrome, that when you're watching 4K YouTube, your fans start going (laughs) wild because prior to this, VP9 was software decoded. So it was, it was extremely battery intensive, right? It we used spiked their CPU uses up like wild, but now I can watch like a 4K 60 gamers Nexus video with my my MacBook doesn't even get warm, right? Because I can in YouTube, like I and also Chrome uses this as well, so Chrome will get those battery benefits. I we we should mention that this this is only only on 2018 and later Max with an Apple T2 chip inside. Uh. So this the hardware decoding is uh, hardware encoding and decoding is handled by the T2 chip. So it has like it has to be one of those newer Macs to uh, support. It, it, it's not done by the by the GPU on it. It's a it's a T2 chip. Well, yeah, I guess the T2 chip. Well, yes, yeah, this is like an SOC, right? It probably has like its own. I imagine it probably had like actual instruction sets or like you know a dedicated chip to decode it and encode it, but someone at Apple just didn't let them turn it on because of the drama, right? Of them wanting to get it. Um, but you know that also brings HDR to YouTube, which is spectacular because once the thing the thing is right outside of the fact that i once google adds 4k streaming or 4k hdr to stadia on the web i can get hdr games finally without needing like an oled tv outside of that it's also that there's netflix with hdr disney plus of hdr right you get dolby vision support 
and with AirPods Pro, right, you would get Dolby um, Atmos. And that's just like an $800 laptop can do that. And it also looks good. It's not... It's not gross HDR. It's properly mapped. Uh, yeah, that's actually kind of yeah, that's impressive actually. Because to to get that otherwise, you'd have to buy like like what like like what do you buy? A thousand dollar TV, a thousand dollar TV for the HDR, and even most monitors, right? Like it's a mess on Windows to do it. So so this is yeah, I mean this is this is uh, like good. Uh, VB nine being supported as well, like is 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 good because like Google's uh, is not gonna change with their codecs. So we we uh, we got we got VP nine here. Also WebP, so in theory web pages should, should load faster. WebP is an image format. Uh, just for people who are not aware, what WebP is, it's an image format that support. It's a Google Develop image format that, like you know, reduces uh, like lossless lossy image sizes by like twenty five to thirty percent. It's it's actually, I mean, WebP is kind of something uh, I sort of know about a little bit. Is that a lot of times when uh, like people at work have websites with a lot of images on them, and uh, there are uh, people asking about image optimization, and usually that means you serve uh, WebP when it's supported. And I would assume too, this would probably make the Mastodon web interface probably work a little quicker on Safari or even on, you know, with it except the iPhone devices. Does, does Mastodon use WebP? I, I, I could have sworn that they'd use like fallbacks for iOS devices. I don't think it, maybe it does. I, I don't know. Uh, I have no, I don't know how I would tell, but, uh, if, if anybody who listens, who listens to us, we definitely have Mastodon users in our, in our listener base. So, you know, if you know what's going on with images, I don't think it's, it's WebP. I think it's, yeah, I'm just seeing JPEGs on, on uh on 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 firefox and windows so i don't know if that's just that's just what that is but uh if you know if you, well, i don't know it's maybe it just delivers jpegs anyways for everybody uh so yeah webp support is good it means that sites that use webp optimizations like if they, they optimize their images uh like they have op- webp versions of their images being served uh that's going to be like like lower faster load times because the page size like the image size is going to be smaller you know stuff like that uh, so yeah, well, WebP is WebP is good, and GIF uh, GIF files are bad. Uh, that's my that's my hot take. GIF uh, files, <laughs> but but I think <laughs> I think to, like to sum this all up though is essentially Big Sur is I I would I would posit this as don't update if you have mission critical software right like don't do that yet. But when you do end up updating once your software gets supported for Big Sur. It is improvements to or design refresh improvements to the system, but without any speed deficits, right? Without any usability impacts. And it's in the turnaround time to sort of relearn things that have changed is not bad because it still works in the way you expect if you've used an iDevice prior. And I know for like old Mac people, it has changed the way their systems work from like, you know, since they were like, I don't know, 10 using an Apple II or whatever. But given where we're at right now and i don't think it's bad i i think one of those things that yeah like yeah there has been change obviously the ui changes are not like insignificant anything but like if you're an old-time mac user you i think you need you're you're probably more used to apple doing these kind of changes than most people uh, i think so you're i think you're really fine uh um, the UI changes are the thing that just like I like slightly worry me because every time UI changes, people get confused a lot. Like I think one of those things uh, I've realized over the years of doing tech support for people uh, is that people are uh, when it comes to computer UIs, people memorize UI paths, 
right? Like they memorize a certain way of doing things. And if like a button moves or it looks different, people get very confused. Like I, this is not even meant to be an insult. This is just how human pattern recognition works and muscle memory, right? Like for example, like if, if you, if, if Windows's UI like drastically changed all of a sudden, it would confuse me. Like it would break my muscle memory. It would break, it would create cognitive load, right? Like they will just be like difficult for me to navigate the OS until I relearn it, right? So there will be some, there'll be some gnashing, but I think Apple has, for the mo for its for to its credit, like done the most. I think the, a pretty smooth design transition. It's not the most drastic. I don't think right. Apple's design has been moving towards this sort of design for a while. They just sort of solidified all the like more like the stuff like the rounded corners, the icon icon fonts, the 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 sort of like the way like the finer looks and stuff like that. Like they sort of just finalize those the changes they made it's not as if right that like they made a a new design system this is they are just basically like the icons are new but if you've used an iphone or an ipad before it's those same icons so it isn't that jarring and the likelihood of you yeah the likelihood of using a mac os and also using iphone is pretty high so it's like i think it could be it'd just be like you don't even you'll be like oh this just looks like the icons on my on my phone so you know it's fine uh, so that's that's smart of them. That's good. Uh, unified design languages, I think, are in general I, like if they are done well. Like, I think if Apple is like one of the only companies that I feel have succeeded in, uh, you know, unifying the design language properly over time, right? And Microsoft is just a, just an abject failure uh, that in for various reasons uh, we don't need to get into. But yeah, uh, overall, I think. Mixer looks good. Like, uh, and also, I I don't know if this is a thing. I don't know. Maybe like, all, like whenever I update macOS on my on my laptop, it's it's a, it's an older MacBook base model, twenty fifteen MacBook Pro. It always takes a long time for the OS to update, but this time, it updated a lot faster, bro. It took like twenty minutes instead of like an hour. Um, uh, I I don't know if there's been some changes, but uh, to that, but it updated a lot faster than it used to so is this like the maybe the apfs related changes i, I don't know but uh maybe maybe, maybe. Yeah. i noticed some firmware stuff yeah too, like that, that that's good because upgrades have always taken a while with mac os but if they're doing some sort of apfs partition magic you know uh that's that's nice uh time machine supports apfs if you care about that now uh so you know if you do time machine backups I mean, it makes it go faster. I'm just telling you Time Machine right now. Uh, I mean, I'm also using a spinning hard drive, which I probably shouldn't be, but Time Machine is slow right now. I mean, it's a backup, so I don't know if that's, like, if you have, uh, if it's, yeah, if a Time Machine is is going to be, the Time Machine is a lot. So what's slow about Time Machine is not the backing up of the data, but it's the encrypting of the data if you have a password protected, right? Because that's to encrypt the entire four terabytes, which on a spinning disk. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be that, that's uh yeah, that's bad. That's a lot of that's a lot of data to do. Uh, spinning rust is not gonna be good at that for sure. So that's macOS Big Sur. Uh, I, I would, I mean, if you want to really get into the nitty gritty, you, you should read the Ars Technica review or the five hour ATP episode for next week, right? Five. I mean. Whichever you prefer, you you can get the Syracuse or you can get uh, Andrew Cunningham's uh, writing, which is which is good. I'm not I'm like uh, Syracuse's reviews were obviously like one of a kind, but uh, I mean we don't have those anymore. Uh, but you know, um, where's Jim Salter? Jim, I'm Jim, I'm Jim is not this is not his area of expertise, but uh, <laughs> Jim Jim yeah, Jim's good. Uh, love his love his networking articles; they're very good. I love I love that 
he is there and he's writing those kind of articles. It's good. So, you know, read read the reviews. Uh, listen to the ATP if you're if you if you're into that. If you want to listen to Syracuse uh, go on about MX, uh, I know some people like that. Um, and we should wrap up because this is uh, going to be an, an hour and a half of Shades of Brown. We don't, we don't want to become ATP and have a two-hour episode. Uh, so let's wrap this up. Um, as always, uh, show notes on twoshadesofbrown.com. Contact uh, the email address for uh, feedback. Uh, contact contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. Let us know. Uh, are, are you are you what do you think about the the ARM transition for Macs? Uh, what do you think about uh, Mac OS Big Sur? You know, are, are are you planning on buying an ARM Mac? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Let us know. Uh, if you're Tom Slime Tom, talk to us about USB four. No, if you're Slime Tom, join me. Join me in the perils of our eGPU dreams being destroyed. The eGPU dreams being dead. Rip, rest in peace, eGPUs. Uh, it, is, it has been good. Uh, good time on the on the on the on the Shades of Brown bingo chart. It's it's time has now now gone. May 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 the eGPUs rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> may all the may all the e waste be actually recyclable. Uh, that's that's the bigger problem. Uh, and as always, uh, you can find me on, on Mastodon at packetcat at 10forward.social. And on, uh, you can find all my links at, on my website at sonicsafe.com. And be, where do people find you? So, um, if you're in the Florida area and you want an eGPU, <laughs> please like email me and I will just come by my house and grab it. I have a $400 paperweight that if you have a Windows computer will absolutely be better. Like say you have a laptop or something, yeah, right, right, right? Like, like literally, <laughs> take it. Take it from me. Um, you can find that email address and every all my other links online at website. And with that, goodbye. <laughs> Bye.